I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, Dave Kittle here. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. I am the owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently speaking with practice owners about partnering or acquiring some or all of their practice right now in the New York and New Jersey area. And today we have Kennedy Hawkins on the show. And Kennedy is not a physical therapist. Most people believe he is. He ran PT Northwest for about 23 or so years. He's a physical therapy executive, an MBA. He's got his MBA, JD, and LLM in taxation. Today we're going to be talking about organization and corporate culture, how it impacts employee engagement, employee recruiting, retention. We're going to get into all of that and more about how these topics could be affecting your practice. Kennedy, welcome on. Hey, thanks, Dave. It's great to be on the on your show. Uh, I was checking out some of your former podcasts. You've had a distinguished list of people on, so I'm uh, I'm glad to be on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for your time. I know you're busy. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I gave a little brief intro, but a little bit more of your background for folks that don't know you or haven't met you before. Yeah. Hey, thanks. So as you said, I think everybody thinks I'm a therapist, but I'm not. Uh, I always thought I would end up being a, a downtown Portland, Oregon tax attorney and a corporate attorney through a series of events and Providence. I ended up uh, working for a company based out of uh, Salem, Oregon, PT Northwest. I was the thought I'd be there only two years and I spent 30 years there. Uh, 21 of those years was the president and, and CEO. And so what I, what we did with the team that we had there is we took uh, PT Northwest to be the largest independent rehab group in the state. We had outpatient clinics. We had we had work with hospitals and minor league sports teams and universities and uh, high schools. So we did that. And then about a couple of years ago, I started thinking about doing some things different with my career. And uh, I recently launched a, a consulting practice. And then on the, the national scale, I've done a lot uh, nationally in the industry and in physical rehabilitation. I've uh, been the uh, president of the National Association of Rehabilitation Agencies and Providers. It's a sister organization to AOTA. APTA and ASHA and Advion based in uh, Washington, D.C. We represent about 80,000 80, plus healthcare uh, professionals nationally. And so I've done everything there for, like I said, from president, past president, board member, treasurer, and now I serve on the board as membership director. So I've been able to see a lot from coast to coast. And I visited and met with uh, healthcare leaders in over 20 states, whether that's uh, small independent practitioners to some of the largest hospital systems in the country and everything in between. So that's a little bit of, uh, about me and uh, just love to be able to help our, our industry because it makes a difference every day in the lives of people. And, and it literally what we do transforms lives. So I'm, I'm excited to be here and just chat a bit about a topic that means a lot to me is is just your employees and your organization's culture and how that really drives everything throughout your healthcare organization. Yeah, awesome. I want to get into all of the, the culture, the components like in this long-winded conversation, but 
I want some quick wins for practice owners that are watching or listening. And so for me, selfishly, like we're hiring right now in New York City for concierge, physical therapists. So we go to our patients and clients and it's challenging. You know, we have job postings on LinkedIn and we have postings on Indeed and everywhere else. And the one thing you mentioned in the pre-interview is that cultures and teams that are like the staff members and the physical therapists, great cultures are where those team members are getting their friends and colleagues that they went to school with, or they met at APTA conferences or whatever, or they know online or something like that, getting them to come work wherever they're working uh, at, at that practice or, or that company. And so for a quick win for a practice owner that's watching or listening, what are some initial things to think about if they don't have that? Because it certainly can, in the short term, they save some money on recruiting. They save the, yeah. the, the thousands that I'm spending on Indeed and LinkedIn and all that, which, you know, I just, it's just part of yeah. uh, our doing business. What are some quick wins initially for practice owners out there? Maybe some things that they're overlooking, uh, things that they could do to kind of spur some of those referrals with their team members. What are some things that they should mention in, in meetings or one-on-ones with their team members? Are there things like that that would be like quick wins for them? Yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's a great question. So I would say that culture, is, it drives everything. So PT Northwest, one of the things that we've done is we were named a, an Oregon top four place five times. So that puts us in some rarefied air, and it just didn't happen overnight. It was a process. And one of the things that I would say to practice owners is first, you just have to realize that your culture is important and it drives everything. Number two is you have to know where your employees are at. So you might think you know where your employees are at, but do you really know for sure? So one, I guess, quick wins I would give to you is I I would refer to you. There's a Harvard Business Review article back in 2022. And what it talked about is is how do you ask your employee if they're happy? And it introduced the concept of a stay interview. And it's something that you can do. It's, it can either be quick hitter or more involved. And it's, it's you have some questions that you ask on like, how are you really doing? And so you're engaged. That could be at work. That could be after hours. But what you're doing is you're showing your employees that you actually care about their well-being. And in, in healthcare, we just lost 20% of the workforce. Okay, they just left the last three years and, and, and they didn't just go work for competitors. I mean, they're, they're driving truck. They're being comedians. I mean, they're going into financial planning. They're doing all these other things. And so you have to realize that the labor market is tight for everybody. But no, I would say the number one quick hitter, knowing where your people are at and those stay interviews are important. And I would not assume anything in today's labor market, especially with the uh, historic lows of employee engagement in healthcare. What is a stay interview? And so a stay interview is just, a, it can be formal or informal. I, I like the informal where you're just getting together and you're having that one-on-one. So tell me how you're doing here. What are some things that are, are working well for you in your job? What are some challenges? Are there some barriers here that are preventing you from being as effective as possible? So it's an interview uh, really trying to figure out the reasons why this employee stays with you and doesn't jump to your competitor. When all of uh, when out there, uh, I think every company right now has a referral recruiting bonus. So if you bring a friend or colleague with you, you know, we'll pay you. So, and some of those are handsome. So what I would, what I would say is that stay interview is just getting to the reasons, the core reasons of why somebody sticks around with your organization. Let's say if you were the practice owner or the executive, and if you pulled me aside or we had this meeting, right? We had a stay interview. What if I had 
an issue with your leadership or the way I perceived your leadership or the way that you ran the practice. And then I'm going to, I'm going to say, yeah, you know, Kennedy, everything is great. Like I like my team and my hours are fine. And I like the time that I'm here and the, the patients are great. And, you know, everything is fairly straightforward. Like, you know, I don't really have any issues. Are there signs or signals for you as the practice owner? Like if the team member is not opening up or being forthcoming or forthright with that type of state interview. Oh, yeah. Well, I would say in 30 years, so I was at, uh, with PT Northwest for 30 years, so they're going to have anybody in leadership for any extended period of time, they're going to have issues with you. And that's okay. And we, we have to be able to get those issues on the table and have a productive conversation about it. Sometimes you're going to agree with those individuals, sometimes you're not. But the things that I was always get worried about is when I call somebody goes dark or just isn't talkative, that's always kind of a red flag or somebody who used to maybe go to company events or used to volunteer to do things or take on more initiative. They don't do that anymore. I would say those are some red flags. And then I think one of the things that I think myself and the other leaders at PT Northwest have tried to do and what I've seen is kind of a best practice across the country is if somebody's not comfortable talking to you, then that's okay. You need to have a culture in your organization where if something's going wrong, go find somebody in leadership who you feel comfortable with. And people have told me some pretty tough things over the years. And at first it's like, oh, okay, that stings. But then we all look at it like, okay, is there truth in that? And, and even if it sometimes maybe isn't entirely true, that's how they're perceiving it. So I have to, if I want to be a good leader, I got to meet people where they're at and I got to be willing to change. And, and I've had some people have had some very hard conversations with me over the years. And hopefully what we've seen is, you know, I've been able to grow from that and our leaders and, and partners have been able to grow in the, in the journey as well. And I kind of, I kind of liken it to a journey. So hopefully that addressed your question. Sure. So let's say in that example, if you perceive that I, the team member, the, the employee, for whatever reason, if you perceive that I had an issue with you, would you also go and maybe you have the clinic director or some regional director or some other person that's not you, but is in a managerial or leadership position, would you maybe kind of direct them to approach me and try to see if I can open up or, or communicate my perceived challenges or issues maybe to them. And then they kind of bounce it through you. And then, then you and that manager or clinic director can kind of troubleshoot and see like, are these, are these really, you know, are we hearing these issues or challenges or, or complaints from other team members? Or is it the way that this individual myself that I'm maybe just perceiving something that's maybe not straightforward? Like, do you use leadership in that way? Or could you use leadership in that way to kind of get a pulse on culture morale? Yeah, I think what matters most is you just get the issues out there. I think that is the, because I mean, here's the reality. Some, every organization, whether they want to admit it or not, there's a grapevine. Whether you call it the grapevine, you know, it's whatever, it's what people are talking about. So some people have issues. You just have to figure out a way, whether it's going to somebody else and that person then coming alongside of you, whatever means necessary, you got to hear the issues. And then what you're going to find out too is how you respond to people. You might respond to somebody. And then this is where I really believe understanding people's personalities and understanding the generations is crucial because somebody might have a different personality, might come from a different generation. And so how you respond to that individual is different than how you respond to somebody else. Like how I respond to maybe a Gen Xer is going to be completely different than how I 
maybe respond to somebody who's Gen Z, who may be outgoing or maybe uh, more introverted. So I would say the issue is just getting it on the table. And then the other thing I would say is, and that's why I'm a, a big proponent too of asking questions and asking, keep asking questions, asking questions in various fashion so you can elicit a response. But then you also have to too realize that sometimes you're just not gonna get something out of individuals. Somebody might not click, you might not click with that individual, that's okay you need to have leaders who do connect with those individuals. Got it. So appreciate the quick win there. We kind of dove in a little bit into one area. So now maybe 30,000 foot view. If we take a step back, you are consulting and helping a lot of different practices and companies out there. I saw you on LinkedIn and you had done a webinar presentation with Rick Owenda. So shout out to Rick and his, his whole team. And when you do these presentations or when you consult with practices like what are some, like, what's the starting points for you? Like, I'm assuming you have to kind of lead with questions. You kind of have to see like yeah, what's going yeah, on, yeah. right? So, so, like, <laughs> right, so right. like, how do you step into this role of helping other practices with their employee engagement, their culture, their morale all that? Yeah, I would say, as you know, you and I've talked uh, earlier, I think it's it's all about people. So we're in a people business and we impact people every day by the care that we provide. And so if you want to get a certain clinical result, you want to get a certain compliance, whatever, whatever it is, financial result, it's people who are driving that. So what I would say is I would just want to know at first, tell me what your culture is about. So culture, I mean, there's lots of definitions on culture. I see it now, you know, the, the Kennedy Hawkins definition is, what is your organization about and how do they live it out? What's your organization about and how do they live it out? And it doesn't, and you might as a leader think of it one way, but the bigger question is, what do your employees think of it? And so for me, I'd want to start and I just want to say, tell me about your culture. And I would want to look at employee surveys. And I, and I think if you're not taking an employee survey every year, that information is gold. I'm a big proponent of outsourcing your employee survey. I know sometimes as a smaller organization, that might be cost prohibitive. But when you outsource it, here's what you're going to find. People will be more honest, especially if they understand that it's confidential and anonymous. And then two, you're going to get, depending on what company you go with, you're going to get benchmarks to compare you to other rehab companies. And a lot of times now, how you're doing compared to other employers in the state because a lot of times now we're just not recruiting in for our needs as a healthcare organization. We're recruiting against other organizations, other companies in the state as well. So I'd want to know what your culture is like. I want to know, I'd like to see your employees surveys. I'd like to look at that. And then I just like to talk to people, you know, cause I think it's uh, when we did our, when we do our annual survey at PT Northwest, there's a question, basically sum up a PT Northwest culture in three to five words. And so at the end of the survey, it gives you a word cloud that we always share with our teams and words in green, okay, are great because green means go, right? When you see the words in red, you go, oh, that could be challenging. And when you see in your word cloud, a lot of words in red, that's not a good thing. So we've had surveys at, at times over the years where we've had a lot of words in reds and we've had to go back and address them. But most of the time, it's been a lot of words in green. But I would want to know, those are some of the things. Tell me about your culture. Let me see your employee surveys. Let me talk to some people just honestly. You know, with with no ramifications, just honestly tell me about. And then, what's your what's your plan? What's your strategy to have a strong organizational culture? Because it just doesn't fall from on high. You know, like anything else we do in physical rehabilitation, whether it's providing great care, whether it's um, hitting certain metrics and compliance, HR, whatever it might be, financial. If you don't have a plan, so I'd want to know what's your plan. And I and I would say. 
Most organizations that do this well, there's about six steps that you go through to developing an award-winning culture. Awesome. Now, in that case, when you say you want to just speak with some of the team members and speak with some of the people, how would a practice owner, executive, a business leader, they bring you in and there's like, you know, hey, this gentleman, this executive, Kennedy Hawkins is going to be stopping by, you know, he would like to meet some of you either one-on-one or as a group. Like, how do you navigate some of that? I would just say I'd want to get a handful. And sometimes it's, you know, given the distance, you know, we're, we're maybe probably doing this remotely. But I think there's no substitute by getting in a room with people and just being able because when you're in a room with somebody or like I, I think uh, my second office was Starbucks and one of the local coffee shops in Salem, Oregon, Broadway Coffee House. So a little shout out to them. But, yeah, that's where I would hang out with people. And it's just keep it informal, very conversational. Oftentimes when you do it off site. It changes the dynamic and people get a, a bit more relaxed, okay? And you take them out of, a, and, and especially if you go to an offsite setting that they're comfortable with, maybe a coffee house or something like that. And then you just ask them, I'd want to, I'd want to talk to all different levels of people in the organization. And then what you get is a mosaic of what the organization's culture is like. And then you're able to then say, okay, we could celebrate. Hey, we're doing great in this area. But in other areas, oh boy, we got some work to do here. And then you set a plan to to work on those areas of your culture that that need help. And then the other thing too, as I would say, is no reprisals. So whatever stays, whatever is said, you got to get honesty from people. And that's why I'm a big proponent of the employee survey that is outsourced, that is external, because you want, for better or for worse, right? You want that feedback. You want that feedback. And whether it's good or not. So that's, that's what I would say. You got to create an, an environment where people are willing to provide that with no reprisals, whatever is said. Usually to collect those, usually it's like some website or digital component where they're typing into some portal or something in regards to their feedback on culture and engagement and those types of questions. Yeah. So you can go, I mean, there's all sorts of organizations that do this. I mean, on the higher end, as you know, you know, a lot of hospitals use Press Ganey, you know, Gallup on for your lar- larger organizations. But, you know, for there's some reasonably priced ones. Entergage is one of them that we have used over the years, and they have some great benchmarking data. And then too, but if you can't do it, you know, just just create something internally. I mean, you know, a lot of people out there use uh, Office 365, now Microsoft 365. Use, you know, use forms, you know, use Microsoft forms, use Google forms, figure out some type of survey, but you got to be getting feedback from people and uh, feedback, whether it's good or bad, that's what you need to be getting. So there's tools out there that are cost effective that you can do this. And there's uh, and then one other thing to do, set a time every year. So people kind of know when the employee survey is gone, but I would say just don't rely on the survey, rely on other things like, you know, town halls, your one-on-ones, your small group meetings. I would say, you know, and if some people aren't comfortable in that, text the stuff and whatever, however you want to do it. I think you want that. You got to get that free flow of information and feedback coming regardless of the, the medium used. Have you seen that the group settings may work better in some cases if on your executive side, your consultant side? <laughs> versus one-on-ones or like in a group setting, there's always going to be like the people that want to talk and they like, love yeah, their own yeah, voice, yeah. like they're going to talk more. <laughs> and then the other people yeah. that are maybe a little more reserved or have some issues, they might not be able to voice them or they, they may or may not. You tell me with your experience compared yeah, to one-on-ones so- where you can kind of like, you can kind of warm them up a bit and maybe they kind of relax as, as you're conversing. What, what's your experience with that? I would use a multi-pronged approach. So I'm a big believer in town halls. 
So uh, we would have town halls. We would, we used to do big group town halls. So I all the bring all the company together. So when people would participate, it would typically be the ones who are more vocal. And then what they said is, hey, Kennedy, why don't we break this down small by clinic or department? And so that's what we started to do. And what when when uh, when you have those town halls, I mean, when you put yourself basically in the hot seat, you know, it can be, uh, it, it may, definitely makes you vulnerable, but you learn a lot as well. And then you're able to message some things out, but you're able to hear from people. And so when you break it small, like at the clinic or department level, or maybe do a regional, maybe do a regional town hall, you're able to, you know, those people who tend to be maybe more on the introverted or shy side, they'll have opportunities to speak up. And then I would intersperse it with your one-on-ones. I mean, you can't, I think that's an important piece too, because when you get more granular like that, you're going to get more information out. And so what I tr- what I think is effective is having those one-on-ones with, with individuals from all uh, parts of the organization. Got it. And in the pre-interview, you mentioned nowadays, employee engagement is at all-time historic lows. Um, right. If there's practice owners watching or listening, if they are in a challenging situation, maybe there's a toxic employee or a toxic clinic director who is does their job and is reliable and maybe they're trying to replace them and and find someone else to come in. If there's a practice owner or business owner watching or listening, if they have what they believe to be a challenging issue or maybe even a toxic culture, uh, is it reversible? Is it fixable? Like what could they do or should they do? Is Is it even fixable? So here's what I would say on that. So first off, I'm a big believer in Jim Collins's book, Good to Great. Okay. It's making the, you know, it's about 20 plus years old. It's making the, it's making the rounds again amongst healthcare leaders. And in that, one of the chapters talks about first who, then what. Okay. And it's talking, it gives the, uh, kind of the metaphor of the bus. Okay. So you got to have the right people on that bus and then the right seat on that bus. So say if you had a director who might be great at providing care, but just is toxic and just can't get along with your people. Is that person on the wrong seat on the bus or do you need to move them off the bus? So there's there's a plan of improvements that you know you probably need to talk through and go from there. But here's what I would say. If, you're, if your culture isn't what it needs to be or some people have reached out to me and said like, hey, Kennedy, my culture is basically a dumpster fire right now. What do I do? And I, I would say you got to start with just acknowledging the issue. And so at PT Northwest, we won five top workplaces. And we're, we're really proud of that because that comes from employee survey feedback compared to other employers in the state. But there was a time where we broke that culture. And, you know, I had a hand in that. And that, you know, that that didn't feel good for anybody. And so what we had to do was we had to, you know, we got we got an employee survey back in 2019. And it might have been fine for other organizations, but it wasn't fine for us. And we had some people leave and it was it was it was not good. And some of those people were my friends. And so you had to you had to look in the mirror. Right. And you had to say, OK, what's going on here? And what we then set out on a path was to uh, go through the steps of leadership commitment in this building, getting a, a, a solid culture back. What's the plan? What's the feedback we're getting from the employees? How is that shared back to them? And then we're putting this on the docket of our partner meetings and leadership team meetings. So everybody knows this is a big deal. And so then what we were able to do was we able to reboot the culture essentially. And then in the pandemic, which was, I would, I would say arguably one of the hardest times to, to lead a healthcare organization, we won two of those top workplace awards again. So what I would say is don't lose hope. It can be done, but you got to start by acknowledging, Hey, we got an issue here because everybody around you is probably going to know, hey, there's issues here, especially when people aren't sticking around or when uh, employee engagement and employee engagement. What I really define that is, is is, is, are somebody enthusiastic about being there? 
I mean, that's probably my definition. I know there's more formal ones, but it's somebody enthusiastic about coming to work. And what we're seeing right now is it's in healthcare. It's 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 at rock bottom. And so I would say you got to acknowledge there's an issue. And a lot of the times you might be able to fix it on your own, but a lot of the times you just need help. And it's okay to say, hey, I need some help here. And that's one of the things that uh, I think as leaders, sometimes we don't ask for help often enough and or when it's maybe a little bit too late. So just asking for help. Hey, I need some help here. Go find some resources to do that. Because again, those those whatever whatever goals you have in the organization, those are all driven by people. And if you're if your teams are not engaged, chances are you're not going to hit those goals. So back when your organization at uh... PT Northwest, when you had an issue where uh, there was a change in culture, some of your friends and colleagues left, was that because there was maybe a push in productivity? Was it a CEO or an executive or, I don't know, consulting firm you brought in that like it didn't drive well with leadership or the team or like, or was it you know, multifaceted? Were there like multiple reasons? Yeah, there was multiple reasons. But one of the things is we tried to uh, build in more accountability. And we had uh, over the years, we just uh, we've done a lot of things well. We've done a lot of awards. We, you know, were a market leader in the in the areas where um, we competed. But accountability was something that we were not strong on, and so uh, and that hurt our organization. And so what I think we did is we moved on the path to uh, gain more accountability. And one of the things that you know definitely happened was it didn't get messaged out well, and uh, some things broke. And that, you know, I got to own that. And I, that's part of my responsibility as a, as a leader. And I learned a lot from that period of time. But it did center around some of our productivity expectations were a bit on the low end. And what we had to do was just have more accountability all across the board in the organization, not just productivity, but, you know, we, we, we take our clinical care very seriously. So we collect clinical outcomes at every visit through Intermountain ROMs. And we use that to drive patient care. We use that to drive our con ed. We use that to in our marketing with our referral sources. And so it wasn't just accountability on the approach. It's just across the board, patient satisfaction everywhere, compliance. And so when we tried to move in that area, let's just say we, we could have done better. So even if you had done better with the messaging and the communicating of that, what I'm hearing sometimes and from my experience in different organizations, like if there was some new accountability component or focus, the team at that point might have also perceived like, oh, great, I have to do extra stuff. I have to do this, that, or, yeah. or the, the oversight is going to be a little bit tighter. I mean, even if you guys nailed the communication and messaging, right, there's always going to be some pushback or revolt yeah, if someone is. is having to do a little bit more or, or making sure like, hey, remember, like, we're going to be really focusing yeah, on these, right. these outcome measures or these reviews and these other things about collecting data, collecting information about yeah. patient care and all that. Right. So I think one of the things is um, whether you're a practice owner or leader in an organization, rehab organization, you just got to realize too, you're not going to be able to please everybody. I mean, that is, and a lot of therapists are pleasers. I mean, why do you go into what you do? So like I told you, everybody thinks I'm a therapist, but I'm not, but I get you. Okay. And you go into that because you want to help people. Either you had an injury or some loved one close to you had an injury and you saw the benefit of what 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 rehab did and you want to help people. Okay, so again, you take that into leadership, all right? That helping personality, you want to please kind of everybody. And, and what you got to learn as a leader is that's probably not a, a, a great recipe for you as a leader and your organization. And so sometimes you're not going to be able to bring everybody along. 
And when you value those relationships, especially when you have close relationships, you know, that can sting. But you have to be as a leader, do what's in the best overall interest of the organization. But that's a that's a great question. And I think a lesson I wish I would have learned when I had a lot of hair in rehab, when I started in rehab 30 years ago, I had this pretty sweet head of hair. And um, it's kind of dwindled over the years to the more aerodynamic look that I have now. I love the bald look. So you were in the pre-interview, you also said, so people drive everything. You also need to collect data, but the soft skills are vital. So soft skills, meaning kind of going back to like the messaging and the communicating of something that you're going to roll out or something like, you know, change or redirection of initiatives, like what uh, soft, or could it just be soft skills in regards to like how you and and your executives and leadership communicate just daily uh, and weekly with your team? What are some of the components of soft skills here? So practice owners can, you know, get an edge and use some of this stuff. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk to your practice owners and your leaders here, okay? Because when you start rolling out, talking about culture and all this stuff, it's like ethereal, okay? So, but there are hard metrics you can use, okay? Like, like what's your, like, so let's talk about on the recruiting side, okay? What's your, you extend an offer? What's your conversion rate? What do you should know that percentage, okay? Employee engagement, are they enthusiastic or passionate about their job? That's a hard metric. That's a percentage you can get to. Retention rate, okay? That's a hard metric you can get to. So that culture drops down to all of those three. And that's just to start. So I would say one of the things I would talk with about your owners on soft skills is it, is it could be it could be as simple as like, how do you communicate, you know, to your team? Is that in person? What kind of tone do you use? Is it just simply facts all the time? Or what you're seeing is like, do you actually, I'm not, and I'm saying that you got to disseminate facts. Don't get me wrong. You got to disseminate data. We got to have goals, things we're striving to. But what people are longing for today in, in the workforce is just a sense of connection and community that got broken in the pandemic. So do you know what's going on in the people that you lead? Do you know what's going on in their lives? Because I'm going to tell you, it's been, I mean, we all know it. it's been a tough three years and everybody's dealing with something. And do you know that? Do you know where your people are at? So that's, that's something that I would say. And then just how do you communicate? And I would say, I'd say like body language is important. Your, your mannerism and your presence, the words that you use, you know, like I said, I go back to the generational differences, words that you can use to maybe an, an Xer or millennium might not work real well with the Gen Z. So do you have the emotional intelligence to kind of understand that? And so those are some of the, the soft skills and those can all be coached up and those can all be taught. And I've seen some people over the years who it was pretty rough in this area. But one of the things that they said is they did an honest self-assessment and said, that, you know, they looked in the mirror and they said, I need some help in this area. I want to do better. Like, can I, I just need some help here. And so I, I've seen people and I've worked with people who, I mean, are just amazed at the transformation in some of these soft skills. And now these are some of the most sought after leaders in the industry. So yeah, so that's, I would say that. And again, they don't teach you this, just like they don't teach you in PT school, typically, like, how do you read a PL? How do you read a balance sheet? A lot of the soft skills I'm talking about in leadership, when you're, when you're an owner or a, a leader, they don't teach a lot of that. So those, and I think what people are, are really, uh, the skills sought after today are those soft skills, which then drive your teams, which then help them to achieve the objectives of the organization. Awesome. How about we move over to the triple aim? And you mentioned now there's like a fourth and a fifth component added to it. So what do you have yeah. there? Yeah, I think it's important, you know, because because you start because it, you know, when the original triple aim that that came out years ago, you know, was to provide better care 
and have a better patient experience and then at a lower cost. Okay, so as we've seen the triple aim kind of evolve, they've added the fourth component a few years ago, which is um, basically the healthcare worker work life. You know, so we've seen before the pandemic, it, it was really tough. I mean, you look at certain uh, medical disciplines. I mean, it was they were in shortages before the pandemic. Now it's just even worse because 20% of the workforce just kind of left. So they've added that component. So this whole debate on culture is matters. So there was a, a Harvard Business Review study that came out, article that came out in March of this year. I, I would refer to it a lot. Uh, it just says, why do healthcare workers stay in their jobs? And the, the writers of the article, they had interviewed over 400, I believe home over 400,000 individuals. They looked at employee surveys. And here's the number one reason, culture. That's it. Now you got to be close on Benny's. You got to be close on comp. But at the end of the day, why do they stick around? It's your organizational's culture. And then, you know, there's a fifth part of the, and that's the, what's it, the quintuple aim now? And it's it's related to diversity and inclusion and equity. So that piece has now been added. So when we talk about your corporate culture mattering and how it impacts your recruiting, engagement, and retention, now that's part of the quintuple aim. It's the fourth pillar now of the quintuple aim. Yeah. And it seems like with pro sports and pro athletes, like any athlete now will just go with the bigger contract and, and go yeah. somewhere else. But there, I don't have an example. Maybe you, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But there's certainly a limitless examples of pro athletes that'll stay with that team. But the, the next contract that they're signing is actually less than what they could have gotten if they went somewhere else. And it's like, why would they do that? Okay. Now there's, there's other things that are kind of like healthcare workers, right? Like maybe they have yeah. with convenience, they have a, a home nearby, they have a home near the stadium and the healthcare worker, you know, lives near that hospital or something like that. So there's some convenience there or whatever, but like if the culture is great, team members are going to stay there, whether it's pro sports or healthcare, like they're going to yeah. stay longer. If they enjoy the people that they're working with, they enjoy the overall culture morale and they will turn down better offers, better paying offers sometimes elsewhere. If your culture or if the existing culture morale is optimal or that they perceive it to be good enough or, or even great. Yeah, I would say it matters across it. it so this is what we're talking about today, Dave. I mean, it, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's really important for physical rehabilitation, but it transcends, it transcends us. It, it's organ, it, this stuff matters regardless of the organization. You know, you, you hear about the various sports teams that it matters, but I would say, you know, so I'll give you an example out of the sports world I'm familiar with is so my father, before he passed away, worked for the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, for 55 years. So they came since they moved to Bro from Brooklyn to L.A., my father worked for that. And he would talk about the periods of time when culture was strong in the organization and when it was not. And uh, and recently, so I, I'm a Dodger fan. Sorry, I, I grew up in SoCal. Sorry, Dodger guy. But, you know, they've enjoyed a renaissance. You know, they've enjoyed, you know, competing every year for the past decade for championships. And, and if you talk to the people inside the organization, what's driving it? Culture is there's a certain way we're going to do things. Remember, I said culture is what you're about and how you live it out. And so in the Dodger organization, using, again, a sports example that I know well, because my dad worked there for so many years, that culture reboot that they did um, when the team was bought and by the um, new management group, it changed everything. So I would I would argue that culture matters a lot and it it, it transcends organizations. And I was uh, I was speaking uh 
about a year or so ago, I got asked to speak at my alma mater, Willamette University. And uh, I got asked to uh, come on and just just share some lessons learned and, and talk about the intersection of healthcare and, and, and law and business. And so I was there and I was asked, okay, if you could take one class again, if you could take, you could take one class again, what would it be? And uh, I, and so I, I said organizational behavior. I mean, and so in the back of the room there, there's some uh, it was open to MBA and law students. And in the back of the room, there were five guys who were in the back of the room and they were uh, guys who uh, I that's where I used to sit and they were all laughing. And I so, yeah, I go, you guys laugh now about that organizational behavior stuff. But it, it matters. So like, why is Adam Grant blowing up right now? OK, why, you know, the youngest tenured prof at, at Wharton? Why is Adam Grant blowing up right now? Because organizational behavior matters. And that's that's what he does. So that's my little that's my plug. And I, I like things I wish I classes I would have learned things I would have learned classes. It's the organizational behavior piece is crucial. And organizations nowadays, they can't hide it. I mean, there's there's Glassdoor. There's a, a oh, lot yeah. of sites for employees. Oh, like, yeah. And there, you know, these Facebook groups and just and just word of mouth and everything. Like now we're interconnected more than ever. And so employees can talk to employees in um, a myriad of different like platforms and, and different apps and things like that. So culture practices, businesses, organizations, they can't hide it. Like it's yeah. going to be figured out. Team members are going to talk to team members and even more so like prospective candidates are going to know one way or the other, whether it's how they feel when they enter your, your space, your, your organization, your practice, how they interact with uh, whoever answers the phone, whoever greets them. I mean, it's hard to hide it, right? Yeah. And so here's what I would say. So what are the things that we set out? We set a goal to win a top workplace award. And we were a, a, a kind of a sister company of ours down in San Diego. They had suggested they had won it five, six, seven times in their area in San Diego County. And I was like blown away because it made such a difference in retention, engagement and recruiting. And so they said, well, you can do it. And I go, we can't do this. And so we said, okay, let's set the lofty goal. I think goals are important. Lofty goals are important. So we set that lofty goal to win one. And we won two. And then we won three. And now we won five. But here's when when you set your sights on winning something like that, you go through this journey that makes you better. And I'll tell you, you said you want something on the recruiting side. You're able to win a couple, one or those or more of those awards. I mean, we use that as a sorry as a, as a, as a sledgehammer in, in recruiting, and we've had in, we've had companies. I mean, I've had therapists from across the country. You know, I had one I had one therapist down in Florida. He said, "Hey, we wanted to move to a smaller. He wanted to move to the Northwest, slower pace." So he, you know, he's, he's coming out here. Like I go, like how? Like you're from Florida? How did you find out about me? And he said, "Well, I looked up top ranked physical rehabilitation providers, employee wise, and you guys popped right up." And I go, oh, that's great. And so this is somebody in Florida, you know, who I'd never met before. You think you win these awards that don't matter. So yeah, we use that. We would always tout that in the recruiting. And that gives us, so you mentioned earlier, okay, you have all these providers out there, these rehab companies who are looking for staff. We have finite, finite number of staff. You got to give yourself some differentiators. Okay, you just got to. And I would say awards matter. I didn't used to think awards matter, but awards matter. So when Hospitals are are placing up the awards that they won when well-known orthopedic surgeons who have have patients around the block and then some who want to get in, they're posting up the awards. That should tell you something about us as rehab providers on those things that we need to do to differentiate ourselves from others. And oftentimes that differentiation doesn't need to be a ton. It just needs to be a little so that potential candidate will say yes to you instead of giving you that email or callback that's saying, hey, I went with somebody else. 
So that's where I think I'd set the bar high on that. And I would argue that winning those type of awards is more achievable than you think if you have a good game plan in place. Yeah. And so win those awards and then it's okay to market the results. It's okay to, as you said, sledgehammer because because you can attract in a nice way, Dave, a sledgehammer in a nice way. Okay. And, And of course, in a nice professional way, but like that team member from Florida, if you guys had not, you know, if you had not maybe blogged about it, if, if you didn't do press releases, yeah. whatever, whatever you guys did, like yeah. they, that person might not have seen that one piece of data on Google or whatever, whatever you know, some blog article or yeah. some presser or something, whatever they saw, if that was not put out there, like you could win awards, you could have great culture. You got to get it out there. Around. You got to get it out there though. So it's okay to talk about it. And, you know, if oh. there's some presenters that are, afraid to kind of toot their own horn, what can they do? Should they hire a PR uh, firm? What, what, what should uh, they do? Well, you got to, uh, so here's, here's the reality. I mean, we, we work in such a, com- the physical rehabilitation is so competitive these days. I don't care what part of the continuum you're on. It is competitive. So I can tell you, your competitors are talking about themselves. So I, I guess you just leave that space to your competitors, but, uh, but you, you got to talk about yourself and you got to get used to that. And I think that's why years ago, APTA brought in, I think it was Daniel Pink, you know, to sell as human. I mean, you, you just, you got to do that kind of stuff. So you got to talk about yourself because if you're not, nobody will. And it's not to be proudful or boastful, but it's an accomplishment. It's an achievement and, and they're shared awards. So you should want to proclaim that. And you know, your patients come through the doors and they see you've won that stuff. That makes them feel good because your patients, they have choices and, uh, and you want them choosing you, especially when a referral source wants to send them somewhere else. And when you roll out those awards and they know about it, that makes them feel good. Then what you and then if you do a good job with them, then that creates a, a, a just pretty much a lifelong patient for you uh, and them and their family if they have rehab needs. So yeah, you got to trumpet it. So you can do it. I would just say get it out there. You I mean you got your? T- I would have your um your employees do that. I would have if you got a, a marketing team or social media team, they should be blasting that stuff out. I mean you got to share it. That should be all over your website on your Indeed pages. You know I look through I look through you know Indeed's I, I believe the number one site still for recruiting healthcare professionals. And I look at I look at some of these Indeed pages. Oh my gosh, you got to step your game up. I mean uh, I mean if you you're doing good things, that should be on there. Your awards should be all over that page because you know they can just click over to somebody else. And so give them a reason to want to come to work for you. Awesome. How about a final uh, statement or something to wrap up? What, what's like a final maybe takeaway for practice owners watching or listening? Yeah, I would say kind of a final takeaway, Dave, would be that to just to understand the importance of the topic, that your culture will drive everything in your organization. And so if, you're, if your uh, culture is great right now, I would say celebrate that. Celebrate the wins. You know, it's been a hard three years and we got to celebrate wins these days, okay? But if it's not, have that honest assessment and just say, acknowledge like, hey, it's, it's, it's not. And so, um, and then so wave the hand and get some help in that area. And then to realize that that culture, so all those goals you may have as an organization, whether it's a financial goal, whether it's a compliance goal, whether it's a clinical goal, it's all driven by people. And so if, if you can't recruit them, if you can't keep them engaged, and if, and if they're not sticking around, all those goals that sounded great at the owner level or partner level or at a leadership team level, you're not going to achieve them. So that's why I think more than ever, especially given um, how 
scarce it is to get good talent in through the doors these days, your culture matters more than ever. That's awesome. Kennedy Hawkins, what's a good place for the audience to reach out to you? I know you have uh, kennedyhawkins.com. Is that the main website you want them to go yeah, to? Yeah, you can get a hold of me. Or- yeah, you can get, you can catch, you can uh, connect with me a couple ways. Uh, website, kennedyhawkins.com. You can uh, hit me up on uh, LinkedIn. And then the also too, I uh, just, you can uh, email me at kd at kennedyhawkins.com. Excellent. Kenny, really appreciate your time. This was great. The time flew by. I, I feel like I definitely want to have you back because this conversation of like employee recruiting, retention, I mean, if you're in leadership, if you're a practice owner, clinic director or whatever, like it is vitally important. Now, if you're a new grad, like you probably don't care about other than you want to find the places like that to go work in. But right, that's it. Yeah. if you're a new grad or, or in physical therapy school, it might be a boring topic. But if you're a decision maker, a practice owner, uh, you're looking to buy or sell a practice, whatever, like it's vitally important. So I appreciate your time. This was awesome. No, it's been great. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Thank you. For you listening, watching, if you find this valuable, helpful, or interesting, go ahead and subscribe to the Dave Kittle Show on YouTube, as well as iTunes and Spotify. And we'll catch you here next time on the show. Bye now. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.